one of the most interesting, fascinating bands that we can talk about, and it's Mataputa. What a history they have from David <laughs> Bowie, from everybody else. And I would like to introduce the host, the host with the most, the guy with the voice, the guy that knows more music than John Lennon, because he's dead. <laughs> Rock a mic. <laughs> What's up, Rock a mic? What, what a fucking introduction that was. <laughs> I guess I know more than him. I'm, I've lived longer than he is. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we're talking about Martha Hoople tonight. Okay? You think our friends and, would get mad, mad with that introduction? <laughs> no, no. They, they know we're out of our freaking minds. All right. It's okay. But we're talking Martha Hoople tonight. And uh, this is kind of a personal show for me. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, I think they're also one of the most underrated bands of all time. Hey, can I uh, tell you something? Those two sure. documentaries that you gave me were fascinating. The one with the um, the recording, the the Mataputo recording review was great, and the, under, and the, review. under, under review. review, and then the BBC was yeah. But these guys, holy shit, they went through a riot where they broke up the first time. They were hurting. Well, yeah, I mean, Bowie came to the rescue for them. Okay. I was shocked by that. Uh, I didn't, but, I didn't but even he did realize it. that. Yeah, I mean, he did it because he was a big fan. They had about four albums under their belt that went nowhere commercially, but they had a huge rabbit. Oh, I love the Shadow album. album. Man, Shadows is great. Uh, I thought that was one of the best albums. They were like, no, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, yeah. no, no. Album. I mean, yeah, I, I don't agree with it either. There's a lot of, uh, they don't like it, the album, okay? But, uh, but I think it's great. I, I, I'm a fan of the stuff they did for Island Records with Guy Stevens producing before I Bowie, did great work. So we're gonna talk about yeah. them, and then I'm gonna bring you. I'm gonna throw you a little loop about the British Lions. Okay, let's talk so, about it. So let's talk about this. Uh, what do you got for me? Give me some information about this band. Okay, well, you know, Martha Hoople. To to dig right in, you got to start talking about Ian Hunter. Ian Hunter was the lead singer, main songwriter for most of Mott's existence, um, and he's an amazing songwriter i put him up there with bob dylan uh he's kind of like a british bob dylan in my opinion but you know what he stole stuff from bob Dylan. oh and he did Sonny, and Sonny well, yeah. Bo- and Sonny yeah. o- and Sonny and bono Sonny bono right yeah i mean uh ian's an amazing guy he's a blue collar guy he's uh you know he, he he had this interesting career uh you know to try to put a band together, Mata Hoople, he joined them. It was interesting how he got together with them. And then, you know, they had a big hit with all the young dudes and then kind of took over the band and then left and has had this amazing solo career. I've seen him several times live. Uh, but Ian Hunter is the main force of Mata Hoople. So we're going to talk yeah. about him first. And uh, If you don't have him, you don't have Mata Hoople pretty much. No. No, 
He was born June 3rd, 1939. Let me ask you a question. But you saw mm-hmm. him live. What's he yeah. in the band? No, right? Yeah. So you saw him with Ian Hunter, right? So he's did they fix that whole thing? No, he yeah, I mean they they've done several reunion shows over the last like 15 years, something like that. Uh but this was the when I saw them in 2019, it was they were concentrating on the album called The Hoople, which was their last studio album that came out in 74. Yeah, yeah that's he's the yeah, he, he was he was part of it. Now he used uh he had Ariel Bender uh, on guitar, um, and he had uh, who did he have on? No, I think I think. Oh, they used Morgan Fisher on yeah. keyboards. Okay, the Morgan rest Fisher of the band, was a fantastic keyboards. Yeah, People he was. Realize. You know, he was is, and uh, the rest of the band was part of Ian Hunter's rant band. That's yeah. his solo band, and they they were doing Monte Hoople songs, and it was a. Uh, you know, pretty successful tour. It was doing well, but then he came down with a case of tinnitus. Yeah. So they had to cancel it, and then fucking hey, Mike, COVID. How hit. realistic would it be to get Hunter on the show? Wow, I don't know. He, I think I, you I, could. I, I think you could do it. I think you could personally put one out of the bag and wow, you know, email. I, 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 God, you know, I'm, we've been we've been talking about getting a lot of people on the show. Uh. And so yeah. far, you do it. What's the why yeah, you put a miracle? I, I, I tell, you put the hand of God. In the I, t- I tell you what, I will. I will make an attempt. But let's get into the history because it's going to be a big show here tonight. All right, let's now go he into was, the history. I'm now, ready. He, yeah. Now, Ian Hunter was born June third, nineteen thirty-nine, in the Oswestry area of England, which is kind of on the Welsh border of England and Wales. So he became interested in music after winning this talent contest at a vacation camp. Yeah. Uh, he played a little guitar, but, you know, he wasn't serious. He was a teenager. Did he come uh, from money? Not really. Not really. But I think I, his parents are hard workers, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute, uh, what his trade was. Now, he uh, he became interested in music at this vacation camp. He won this contest. Uh, he had put a little trio together for the contest, and they played an acoustic version of Blue Moon, and they won. Okay, now the other two members of the trio, both were named Colin, Colin York and Colin Broom. Okay, and they were members of a Northampton-based band called the Apex Group. Uh, the band was fronted by bass player and band leader by the name of Frank Short. Now, Hunter at that point was living in the Shrewsbury section, and at that time, his family uh, he had a as a teenager, he had an apprenticeship with uh, Rolls Royce, okay, which was the car company, okay. Uh, he was, I mean, from what I've read, I think he was going to get into, you know, making cars. He worked in factories, things like that. Um, he loved this this little trio thing, and and he, and you know, he wanted to get involved with the Apex Group, so he actually moved out and he transferred up to uh, Northampton area. And he got a job with a company called British Timpkin. Uh, and he was able to transfer his apprenticeship to that company. And he became a transmission guy. All right. So that's what he worked on during the day. Now, he immediately joined the Apex Group as a rhythm guitar player. And he quickly stood out in the band. Uh, the band was kind of, I guess you could say, a little stiff. 
they didn't really move around on stage and they didn't have that kind of wild image. They were playing early rock and roll, but but you know, this was the Is 50s. This the same band that was doing as the uh, Doc Thomas group? No, no, we're gonna get into that because okay. this all comes together and it becomes okay. Mata Hoople. You'll see. Okay, this is Hunter Alum. All right, now okay. he he um joined the band, but his mannerisms were more uh crazy. He jumped around, he played you know with the guitar, and he moved around stage, and he really stood out as an animated performer. Now he ended up actually leaving the band in 1958. He was with them for a short time. Uh, and they were just getting ready to record a single for John Lever Records. Uh, he, it just wasn't a good fit, and he decided to leave. He ended up kind of like playing in some local groups, but he wasn't making any money. Uh, he was kind of, I don't know if he was fucking up at work or you know whatever. There's kind of some indication of that. Uh, but he was getting a lot of debt and he just realized, you know, these too many financial constraints. I'm not making any money playing music. So he wanted to settle down a bit and be more responsible. He got this day job uh, and he paid down his debts and uh, he would, you know, join this harmonica duo kind of band. OK, he was playing harmonica for a while, for a short period of time. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the he actually returned back to Shrewsbury to do all this. Okay, so we went back to his hometown. Once he got it, everything cleared up, he had this girlfriend named Diane Coles, and he convinced her to go back to Northampton with him. Okay, uh, the two got married, and they had a son named Stephen, or Stephen, born in 1962. Now, they're back in Northampton, and they're kind of making a life for themselves. But problems would arise as Ian started to reconnect with his old bandmates, okay, uh, in the Apex group. Now, his wife, Diane, was staying home, and he started going out, hanging out, playing, and things like that, which, as we all know, for a young guy, could be a recipe for disaster, right? Yeah. So um, since Ian had left the Apex group a couple years earlier, all right, uh, they kind of developed into this R&B review type group. They were wearing like matching suits and uh, stage jackets, you know, I should say. And uh, he started playing with the game. But again, he, he didn't really like this kind of direction that they were going. Um, on the side and, you know, secretly, he started this other group. Okay. And it was called Hurricane Henry and the Shriekers. And it featured a guy named Tony Marriott on drums and Julian Coulter on guitar. Uh, Hunter played guitar and he fronted the band. But after some steady work around Northampton, they attracted a piano player named Freddie Fingers Lee, okay, who was uh, very popular at the time. And he took over as frontman in 1964 and Hunter moved over to bass. Now, Frank Short in the Apex group found out about Hunter and his other band. And, you know, it was kind of a little bit of a messed up thing to do because it was almost in direct competition of the Apex group. You know, there weren't that many bands around. So he was now in a band competing with himself in a sense. And they threw him out. They threw him out of the Apex group. Right. So 
he ended up just now he's he's with uh full time he's with Hurricane Henry and the Shriekers. And uh when he got thrown out of the Apex group, ironically they were about to record another single. It was going to be an EP. And so that was two times they were about to record and two times he got tossed before that. So Freddie Lee convinced the Shriekers that they should kind of take the same type of gigs the Beatles were doing, all right, around that a couple of years earlier. Uh, and what I mean by that is gigs in Germany, all right? Now, if you remember, the Beatles played early gigs in Hamburg and kind of like earned their bones as a great live act in Germany before they went back to England and conquered it, okay? They thought, uh, Freddie thought that they should kind of go the same route, so they did. Uh, they ended up playing some of the same places the Beatles played in Hamburg. Uh, and it was there playing these gigs that Hunter realized that he could actually do this for a living, that it was something he enjoyed enough that he could make money now. And he understood the business a little bit more than he did a few years earlier. And, you know, he, he, he didn't want to work in factories anymore. Okay, so he wanted to be a full-time musician. Now, in 1966, uh, he had moved on a bit and he moved to London, okay, where he joined a band called The Scenery with a guitarist named Miller Anderson, who would later be associated with the Spencer Davis group, uh, Leslie Weston Mountain, and T-Rex, okay? There was also a drummer in the band named Dave Dufert, who was the brother of Denise Dufert of the British all-female heavy metal band Girl School that was big in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, he would also play with Screaming Lord Such, who we did a great show on about a year and a half ago. Yeah, that was, and, those guys were fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, this guy was also in the British heavy metal band Angel Witch, which had, uh, I don't know if they ever had more than one album, but the one first album, I think, is... It's a fantastic like British heavy metal album. Also in the band was keyboard player Dante Smith uh, from, you know, in the scenery I'm talking about. Now, it was during a gig at the Flamingo Club in London that Ian first met guitarist Mick Ronson, who was in a band called The Rats. Uh, Ronson, as you know, would, would go on to play with Bowie and uh, eventually with Mata Hoople for a brief time yeah. and have a fantastic uh, career. So solo career. And he would collaborate with Ian through most of the 70s and, and early 80s. Now, in 68, Miller Anderson left the scenery and Ian Hunter remained doing some other lineup changes and stuff like that. Um, they brought in uh, Freddie Lee. They were playing gigs backing him up. And after several shows at a club called The Angel, Chrysalis Records became interesting and some singles were recorded. But the songs were released for international labels without the band's knowledge and were possibly released in France or Belgium. But to this day, it's even unclear where some of those singles ended up. OK, and actually who put them out because it was done behind the band's back. Now, throughout the late 60s, Hunter played with various other artists, but mostly he wasn't going anywhere, okay? At the same time, there was a band on the scene called the Doc Thomas Group. You just mentioned them. And uh, they formed in 1966 with uh, guitarist Mick Ralphs, 
Stan Tippins was on vocals, and Pete Overend Watts was on bass with Dale Buffin Griffin on drums. Now, the Doc Thomas group was really big in Italy. They were kind of based there. Uh, they weren't Italian. They were British guys, but they were really big in Italy. And um, Why were they, they so big an I, idiot? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Okay, just for some reason they – they played around Europe a little bit yeah, and, and kind of found a home I just, there. I just didn't get it. Like, I read that whole thing about it, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> that's, that's my, my whole thing. I, you know, it's probably something that could have only happened in the 60s, okay, you know, for some that's reason. That's probably like us. Why are we so famous yeah, in New Zealand? Right, and it's, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, why, why are people listening to us in New Zealand? I don't know. It's great. I'm glad they're doing it, but yeah. it makes no sense. But yeah, they were they were they were big in Italy, and um, they had a residency at a couple of nightclubs there and in, in, in resort areas in Italy, and they, they played there often. Now they got offered a recording contract with this Italian label called Dishi Inter Records, and they released a self-titled album in 1967. By 1968, organ player Verdon Allen joined the band. Okay, so here we have. You know, the kind of core of what Mata Hooper would become. Yeah. All right. Now, even though these guys were British and they recorded in Italy, when the Doc Thomas group played in the UK, they used a different name. They went by the name of Shakedown Sound. And later on, they, they also used the name Silence, which, in my opinion, is probably the worst name for a band I've ever heard. Yeah. But, Nobody's but, yeah, okay. <laughs> Now, as Silence, they actually recorded some demos that they shopped around, but it didn't really go anywhere. Okay? It failed. Now, it was a yeah, fucking yeah, failure. Right. But um, around 69, Silence came to the attention of producer Guy Stevens from Island Records. All right. Now, Guy liked the band, but he didn't like Tippins as the lead singer. So Tippins got... You know, and, and he it's not like he got thrown out of the band. He, he became their road manager. And if you see interviews, listen to interviews or read about Tippins, he was amazing because he actually just agreed to do it. He was like, OK, you guys are going to make it with Guy Stevens. You're going to be signed to Island Records. He doesn't like me. OK, I'll step aside. Not too many, not too many guys would do that, you know. But I think he saw the writing in the wall. He was not that much of a great lead singer, first of all. No, no, <laughs> but he knew that they would have success without him. So he, you he know, didn't he didn't take it a hard way. Where some, no, nah, sometimes you gotta know, dude, you're not that good. Can you just step down and do this? And it's like, okay, yeah, and he did it, okay. But he was still, you know, involved, which was good. Now um, they put out an ad for a lead singer. Guy Guy Stevens did. And the way it was written up, it said, singer wanted, must be image-minded and hungry. So enter Ian Hunter. Ian Hunter saw that ad, and he answered it. Okay, now, at the audition, members of Silence, okay, were not sure about Ian Hunter. They, you know, he had, like, first of all, he was a few years older than them. And he had, like, curly Blonde hair, blondish hair, dirty blonde hair, kind of. Uh, he was a rock star. Well, well, star you know, he, he had been around longer than them. And, you know, yeah. he shows up to play an audition, uh, basically with a with a Sonny Bono record, 
uh, Sonny and Cher record under his arm. It's great. Okay, yeah. You know, and they're like, what? Sonny and Cher? You know, like they didn't take it seriously. But he sat down, I believe, at a piano and began to sing his version of the Sonny Bono song called Laugh At Me. Okay. And it's a great song. And uh, he, he, you know, blew them away. Okay. And they still were kind of unsure about his image or, you know, if he was really serious. But they said, okay, you got the job. You, you're talented. Okay. And, and some of them kind of felt like, well, at least for now, we got somebody. Okay. But you know what's funny? They actually grew to be fun of each other. Like, they oh, yeah. Be very, like, they loved each other. Like, in a weird way, it was like a dysfunctional family, but they could play together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they, the next few years with this band would be a roller coaster ride. Okay. Really? I mean, they would, you know, I'm going to explain it how. They, they went from rags to riches, Shadow, you know? Matt Shadow is a fucking fantastic album. Like, you could go listen to that, and they got shitted on. I'm, I'm still like, you people are fucking idiots. Yeah, I, you know, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but... but to me, they, I still think that's one of the best albums. You know, Hoopo people, to me, that's, that Matt Shadow is a fantastic Matt album. Matt Shadow is great. I mean, it starts off with Thunderbuck Ram, yeah. which is a great song. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Michael, you know, we fucked up because, like, I thought that was a great album. And people shit no, on the album. Like, I, I didn't I, get that. I got, he was like, "This is a fantastic album. What the fuck are yeah. you people listening to?" Six killed it, and and yeah, and, uh, you know, the band themselves really didn't like the album that much. They which did not, I, which was amazing. I'm like, you yeah. guys, you wrote something that's a masterpiece, and you guys don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some good stories with that I'll, I'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Now, he, you know, Guy Stevens kind of took the reins and, and was controlling their direction and, and giving them ideas. He was like a to... producer, right? He was yeah, like well, he, was a produ- he was a producer, but he worked for Island Records. He, he was yeah. a little bit of everything. Um, He's Chris... a little bit like uh, Phil uh, Spector because he had that control well, and he wanted to run everything. But yeah. he wasn't as good as Phil Spector. No, no. Well, Guy Stevens, I, you know, we could probably even do a show about him because he was a madman. He was a crazy guy. Uh, he was guy. a lunatic. Yeah. And he took, you know, like he he actually, the way he envisioned this band was, uh, it, it was going to be a mix between the Stones and Bob Dylan. Yeah. Okay. And Ian Hunter had that kind of voice that they were able to to get that sound. But that dude, he was there was a point that they played Sweet Jane. They played like songs that were like covers. That would be later, yeah. I mean, they you know, Sweet Jane would be off to all the young dudes. And, and to uh, me, I'm like, that don't sound right singing that song. <laughs> well, you know, interesting enough, I know a lot of people, uh, myself included, who actually heard that version before I ever heard the Velvet Underground. Oh my God, the Velvet Underground is so much better. Oh, yeah. But I, I be honest with you, I heard the Monta Hoople version first. It's a good version. Yeah, it's not, not as good. Not as not good. As but, good. It's, but it's good. Anyway, now, um, the band got told that they had to change their name. Okay. We're not going to call ourselves Silence. Okay. Guy Stevens said. Uh, we, we're going to call ourselves Monta Hoople. So they're like, Monta what? You know? Uh, yeah, Monta Hoople. Okay. It's the name of a book by a guy named Willard Manis. Yeah. And interestingly enough, Guy Stevens did some jail time in the year prior for some drug offenses. Shocking. Yeah. 
and uh, he actually read this book while in jail. And he thought it was a perfect name for a band. It's a, it's a book about a circus freak show. Okay. I wonder if Scott the Clown has ever read it. It's possible. Um, and that goes back to the, the freak show. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We're going to have to ask uh, Scott if he ever read that book. Yeah, we got to ask him. Now, the band would immediately go into the studio. Uh, their self-titled debut album was released in 1969 and recorded for Island Records in one week. Yeah. Okay. Now, Guy Stevens produced it, and it instantly became kind of a cult classic. Uh, the album had the soon-to-be-live favorite rock and roll queen on it, which Hunter still plays live today. Uh, the album kicks off with three covers back-to-back. Uh, there's an instrumental version of You Really Got Me by the Kinks. It's probably one of the best versions of the Kinks. Like, they, go, oh, yeah. like, they, they play that shit. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I gotta uh, tell you, it's fantastic. They would, they would, they, and, and they kind of would develop that song into a jam okay yeah. when they did it live now yeah. they also covered uh at the crossroads by doug Sam, who was originally in the sir douglas quartet uh texas bass band another great and, song right and also sonny bono's laugh at me was on there you know what ian hunter sounds a lot like sonny bono believe it or not a little bit like him a little bit like bob dylan it's on, just in, scary in his early years yeah yeah now uh, the rest of the tracks were written between Mick Ralphs and Ian Hunter. Uh, Ralphs had a lot of input in Mata Hoople. Um, they wrote some songs separately, sometimes together. Uh, one track was called Wrath and Roll, and that yeah. was actually written by Guy Stevens yeah. on that album. It did it moderately well in the UK. It got to number 66 in the charts, and it did crack the U.S. charts at 185 on Billboard. Um, in August of 69, though, Mott started playing their first gigs. And uh, Guy Stevens, who was their manager now as, as well as producer, booked them some gigs in Italy at a place called the Bat Cavern Club. And that's the place where silence had been popular. Okay, so it was kind of like they, the same guys were coming back under a different name. Now, the first gig went well among these, uh, Italians. You know, these Italian guys. They hyped it. They hyped the arrival of them. Uh, people showed up to check them out. The, the show did great. Now, some audience members thought Ian Hunter was blind since he always wears shades. Oh, yeah. He always, At, always did, right? He always yeah. does, still does, okay? And when they realized probably by the, the end of the show that he could actually see for some reason, they became less interested in the band. I don't know why. It makes no sense. But but uh, also, the Back Cavern uh, management liked Stan Tippins as a singer better. Okay, mm. so it was a problem. Now, the whole mini tour in Italy ended up going awful, and nobody there could even stand Guy Stevens. Guy Stevens was a maniac, and he did not go over well in in, in Italy. Okay, um, he did manage to hand out free copies of the debut album, though. So some people did get free copies if they went to see them. Now, after that disaster in Italy, they played their first gigs in the UK, and uh, they ended up opening for King Crimson on some gigs and and Free, the band Free. 
Yep. Now, Guy Stevens was was hyping the band to a lot of music honchos at these gigs, and and many, including DJ John Peel, became early fans of of Mott the Hoople. Dude, but they had a good father. They even have some early members of the cast of the of the Clash following yes. them. Like, they uh, were Mick, like... Mick, Mick, Mick Jones of the Clash. Yeah, they love was... these guys. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they 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 had a group called the Mott Lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And the Mott Lot used to follow Mott the Hoople around, okay, at different gigs all over England. And Mick Jones was part of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he it's would, very he would. funny. Like he's telling the story about sneaking in the bathroom and just wear the bathroom, but then he got to know the band and they just invited him in. Yeah. Yeah. They just, right. He met them. And many years later, in the early 80s, I think around 81, 82, um, Mick Jones would produce an album for Ian Hunter called yep. Short Short Back and Sides. Yeah. It's a pretty good album. Now, Ian, uh, you know what? Ian Hunter had a pretty decent solo career, you know that? Oh, beyond decent. Fantastic. I, mean, I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's, it, it's a little bit overlooked. But you know I what's think, funny? We could yeah. have an Ian Hunter show instead Absolutely. of having the whole Mataputa show, but you want to do Mataputa, but I think Ian Hunter is the key element. Well, we, you know, Mont, we could do another show separately on Ian Hunter because I think that uh, he has a career beyond Mata Hoople that's worthy of a show. Yeah, I, so, I, hear, I hear making, maybe he will he I, make the making of I, one I, of I, his albums. <laughs> making of one of his albums, yeah. Maybe the one called uh, You're Never Alone with a Schizophrenic. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a great album. Actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually... Heard that? Oh yeah, we could totally do that. I heard that album. I, like, I'm, well, that's a, that's I'm one of his Ian, most famous side. Uh, I'm a big you know, Ian Hunter guy. I love Ian Hunter. I never, I never realized the whole Montepulto Ian Hunter, but I, I knew Ian Hunter by Ian Hunter. Yeah, yeah. Now getting back to this, they they started opening for King Crimson and Free, and Guy Stevens was hyping the band to all these people, and and you know DJ John Peel was interested, and the band felt like. They weren't even in the same league with King Crimson to play with them. But they, Robert Fripp, the guitarist from King Crimson, he um, was an early supporter of, of Mato Hoople and would often be seen at their gigs. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, Mato Hoople at that point hadn't really clicked as a band yet live. But no. they, that would change soon because at early gigs – Hunter would kind of like just stay behind his piano and and uh, play, and uh, but at one gig when they were opening for the band Free, Verdon Allen ran over and dropped some maracas in front of him, and Hunter jumped up and started shaking them, and everybody went crazy. Okay, and they kind of clicked at that point. They became a band at that a real live band at that point. But and, Mike, these guys did so many. Like when you look at the history, how many live? These guys did a lot of live shows. Oh yeah, because there oh, was yeah. it was to the point that they couldn't even do no more because they were live. Like they 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 actually one of the few group that travel in the U.S., which is amazing. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, well, they had the full backing of Island. Okay, and Island. I mean, Bob Marley was on Island at that time. Yeah, okay? they, they 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 had a big following. They had a lot of British acts on their label and. They were able to get the American shows. So, yes, Mata Hoople would go to America off that first album. Now, um, one thing that the band noticed is that the further north they played in the UK, the wilder the shows were. 
So they love <laughs> they loved playing in that northern regions of the UK. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what they had developed at that point was like a 20-minute version of You Really Got Me. Yeah. Okay. And it became like more of a jam. Than, they didn't really have – they didn't sing. Okay. They just had the jam. Okay. But the audiences used to go crazy. Now, between – Everybody nope. loved that. That 20 yeah, it, it was fantastic from what right. I heard. I, I watched a little video of a twenty-minute session, and it's fantastic. It doesn't oh, even yeah. feel like twenty minutes. No, it just and and they still play. Uh, Ian Hunter occasionally still <laughs> breaks that. <laughs> <out. laughs> yep. <laughs> Come on. Yep. How yep. can you go wrong with that? <laughs> no, you can't. Now, between November of '69 and April of 1970, Mott recorded their second album, and we've been mentioning it, Mad Shadows. Uh, once again, Guy Stevens was brought back, okay, to produce. And uh, Mad Shadows is known for, to me for the Mick Ralph's penned song, Thunderbuck Ram, yeah, which is, you know, the, fir- the first song you hear yeah. on the album. It's great. Um, I think it's one of their best songs pre All the Young Dudes, okay, uh, you know, before Bowie got involved with them. I think it's probably one of their best songs. Yeah. Now, they, do you know how they got the title? How? Um, I believe it was it was Buffin, the drummer. Uh, he saw it written in a bathroom stall. <laughs> Said, oh, that'd be a good title to a yeah. song. <laughs> the, the Buck Ram. You know, so Mick Jagger supposedly, okay, from the Stones, supposedly when, you know, there's a, there's a legend, I don't know how true it is, but he heard the album was going to be called Mad Shadows. And he was aware of, you know, Jagger was aware of Mata Hoople at that point. Uh, and he wanted to steal the name, okay, Mad Shadows for the next Stones album, okay? And the next Stones album was going to be Sticky Fingers. So it's very, you know, had things not gone exactly where they did, the Stones may have stolen that title. Wow. But but Mata Hoople released the, the album in September 1970, and it beat the Stones by a couple of months to, to use that name. All right. Now, Mad Shadows, you know, we were just saying, for some reason was poorly received. Okay. Uh, and I don't know why. Okay. I just don't get it. But you um, want to hear something? It's a cult classic now. Oh, yeah. Well, all those four albums are. Okay. There was a track on there called Walking with a Mountain. And it's 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 all about Leslie West, okay, yeah. from from the band Mountain because, um, the live shows. At no real, no weird to 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 rise. A great song. You are one of us. I, I love uh-huh. that song. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a great album. Okay, and I can feel it. It's like fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the live shows were starting to really go well at this point. Uh, the band was developing this, this cult following almost yeah. rabid following the kind of thing that could really only happen in England. Cause it's a small country. Mike, okay? let me ask you a question. What do you think of the song? What in my mind is gone? Like you think Ian was already calling for help right there? No, I, I, you know, their, their songwriting at that point was kind of, I don't know if schizophrenic's the right word, but kind of like, it, like yeah, it was kind of like all over the place, you know. Like yeah. they, they they would write a ballad, they would write a rocker, they would they would kind of they they didn't have it didn't all gel yet. Yeah, I they were it, like really like rock and roll, but there was also like a real underground feel of them. Well, did you did you have a chance to listen to Wildlife that album? 
No, and I haven't heard that album. Okay, okay, that that would be the next album after Mad Shadows, and they would go into a almost a acoustic countryish yeah, direction. Probably, yeah, but they, that thing was even well, less fucking commercial. Success. Oh yeah, that oh, album that album terrible. did worse. That album did worse. Okay, um, that came out in March of seventy one. Wildlife, and it was not produced by Guy Stevens. They didn't use him on that, but he does get a production credit for one track. Okay, but I think they needed a change because they were with Guy Stevens. Really, didn't work for them. Yeah, I mean, he would be brought back. Yeah. Okay, but they 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 were they were kind of treading water. You know, they they yeah. were they were they were look they were selling out three thousand seat. Uh, arenas, 2,000, 3,000 seat arenas, and yet they couldn't sell records. Which, when do you ever see that? That's almost never. But you know what? Okay. I think there might have been a better live band than a record band. That's what probably happened. And well, that's happened in the music industry. I, 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 it, 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 it was all timing. Yes, yeah. you know, and, and when you listen to those four albums now from Island, the Island Records, um, I, I I think they stand the test of time. I think oh, they're no, they, good. They're they good albums now. Now they're yeah. like fantastic album, but back then, like you know, people yeah. were pickled. People were different. They were different, and they wanted to see a good live band. They didn't necessarily buy the record, and yeah, and that's what that's what happened. Now, um, Wildlife is kind of a transitional album in a way too. Like it, it they they would experiment in. Uh, in a little bit of like a countryish direction or acoustic direction, the, the the opening track is a song called uh, "Whiskey Women," okay, and the song is really about women that they met at the Whiskey A Go Go on their last American tour, and there's another track that's influenced by the last American tour. This is one yeah. of my all-time favorite mod songs, "Angel at Eighth Angel, Avenue." Angel of Eighth Avenue. It's about a hooker that Ian met in New York City. Yeah. Okay. And I, you know, I don't know what went on there, but you know, we met her, and he ended up writing a song kind of based about her. Now, uh, another track called "Waterlow" yeah, is probably a- one of the prettiest songs that like Ian Hunter ever wrote. I mean, it's like a ballad, uh, but it's a beautifully sung, arranged song. Um, there's another track called "The Original Mixed Up Kid," which would be a little bit like country music. Okay, and that kind of title, the original mixed up kid, that's like the type type of title they would they would use later on in a song. Okay, uh, so they were kind of transitioning a little bit. Now, actually, Wildlife did slightly better in the charts. It, it got to number forty four, where I think the last album, Mad Shadows, only got to forty eight. So it actually did a little bit better, not worse, but it just it didn't it didn't sell. It didn't catch on. It only peaked. At 44 for a week, and, and that was it. And it disappeared. So shortly after a TV appearance on BBC Channel 2, uh, Mott was working on their fourth album, which they were going to call Brain Keepers. And uh, originally the album was going to be called ACDC, but they decided not to call it that. Um, they ended up taking two names that they had ideas for and combined them. Uh, they were going to be called. The album was going to be called "Brain Damage" or possibly "Bizarre Capers." So they ended up calling it "Brain Capers" to to mix it up. So the band was having difficulties when they were recording this album. Another right? failure. Yeah. Well, it's even in the, in the studio, 
in the studio they were having problems getting the sound come it was nothing was coming together uh they were contemplating breaking up yeah okay when they were making that album and, and guy stevens was brought in to help okay kind of save the recording that what they what, see what he could do with it now it's not a brain cape is i think is a great album it, it, you know some people say it's the best of the first four and yeah. I can I can understand how how people think that because if you're more of a fan of the later stuff, the more commercial stuff, um, that is the album that's kind of the bridge, because you got tracks on there that kind of sound like stuff they were doing on their first two or three albums, and then you have some tracks like, uh, uh, God, what's that song? Uh, Death may be your Santa Claus. Yeah. Okay, that track. Okay, that's kind of like reminiscent of stuff they would they would start to do once Bowie got involved. Okay, let me tell uh, you, once Bowie got involved, because Bowie was a huge fan of this band, and Bowie had songs that he couldn't do, so he gave them to these these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it was. I'd say we should just jump into that because you know what that other rest of the stuff is not. Well, but the that's, what, that's exactly Ooh. where I was going right now. Well, that's exactly where I was going. Now, Mike, now, we're on the same page. If I always, <laughs> always, great minds think alike. Now, the story is is that uh, Pete Overin Watts, the bass player, yeah, uh, was going to try to join Bowie's band. Okay, and he did like an audition, and he was kind of friendly with Bowie anyway. And Bowie's play bass, but you're in a band, don't you, Mata Hoople? And he told Bowie, well, we're breaking up. And, uh, he, and Bowie was like, no, you can't do that. Okay, you guys are great. Uh, I got a song I can give you if you like that, you know, I'm not sure I want to use yet. And this was when Bowie was recording uh, Ziggy Stardust album. Okay. Which is a fantastic album. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh definitely. Um, and he offered them Suffragette City, the track Suffragette City. Yeah. And they turned it down. Uh, they, they agreed to work with him, but they, they turned down that song. They, Ian said, it's good, but it's not good enough. They, if they're going to work with him, they want to have something that they feel is going to be a hit right away. They wanted to be number one. Okay. So he said, okay, I have another one that, you know, I was thinking about recording. Was that but, all the young dudes? And that, and that was all the young dudes. Okay. And, uh, you know, this was the this was the track that would make them. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was a monster hit, and and they knew they had a, a hit with it before they ever even recorded it. They just knew that the song was going to be big. All right. Now, the contract with Island Records was running out. Okay. And they as soon as it was, as it was over, they jumped ship over to Columbia Records. And uh, this was in 1972. Columbia was the label that Bowie was on. Okay. Um, now, Bowie, not only did he give them all the young dudes, he agreed to produce their album, which would be called All the Young Dudes as well. Okay. And this now, is before he started being like a very good producer. He, well, we were, this was even before uh, Lou Reed. Okay, yep. I was. It was about around the same time, but I think yeah. it was a little bit before. Um, and uh, yeah, it, you know, it was before Raw Power. Okay, so it was one of his first real like 
producing things, okay, outside his own material, okay? Um, now, his interest and involvement with Manta Hoople catapulted the band into the UK glam rock world, all right? Now, it wasn't a bad place to be because a lot of bands were in that scene that were selling a lot of records. You had Slade, you had Sweet, you yeah. had T-Rex, you had Gary Glitter. We've done shows on all those yeah. guys, okay? So, you know... Uh, you know, they were selling millions and millions of records. Now, Monta Hoople weren't really a glam rock band, okay? But they did begin, once they got kind of in that scene, they began to dress a little outlandishly. They wore, like, uh, silver spray in their hair and things like that. A little bit of makeup, but nothing too much. Um, When the album All the Young Dudes was recorded at Olympic and Trident Studios in London, uh, between May and June of 1972. The, the title track ended up being released in July, a little bit ahead of the album's release. And the B-side on that single was a great new track they had written called One of the Boys. And it would get, uh, all the young dudes would peak at number three in the UK. And it would crack the top 40 at number 37 uh, in America. Okay. Now, the track quickly became a glam rock anthem. All right, the kids in the glam rock scene latched onto it. Uh, they took it like all the young dudes. It's a song about us. But Bowie actually did an interview, and he explained one time how the song wasn't meant to be that way. Okay, It wasn't meant to be a glam rock anthem. It was actually meant to be the sequel to the track Five Years, which is on the Ziggy Stardust album. Okay, And that song is about like, an apocalyptic end of the world where there's only five years left in the world before it's destroyed. Wow. Okay. So when, you know, the dudes in the song are supposed to carry the news of an impending end of the world. All right. Now people didn't take the song that way at all. Okay. When you read the lyrics, you can kind of get that a little bit. Okay. But people took it like a rallying cry of like, for the youth, you know, like that kind of thing. And uh, the album, All the Young Dudes, also featured a great cover of what we were saying before, Sweet Jane by the Velvet Underground. And uh, there was a track called Ready for Love that featured Mick Ralphs on lead vocals. He wrote the song and uh, he was going to give it to Ian to sing, but but Mick ended up singing it. Uh, another great track on there called Mama's Little Jewel and also Sea Diver are standouts on that album. Sea Diver is something that uh, Ian Hunter still does live today. Now, Bowie's guitar player, Mick Ronson, was brought in to do the string arrangements on Sea Diver. There's, a, there's like an orchestral kind of string part on that. Um, the album would peak at number 21 in the UK. And at that point, it was their most successful to date. Okay. And it gave the band a total, like, new, you know, new, new life. Okay. So uh, one pattern that would kind of develop is when they had success, they would have these little setbacks at the same time. And changes would kind of come immediately with this new success. Uh, Keyboardist Verdon Allen would leave in 1973 uh, prior to the release of their next album, which was the follow-up to All the Young Dudes, just called Mott. Okay. And Verdon Allen to this day still kicks himself in the ass for, for leaving the band at that time. Uh, he felt 
you know, his songs that he was contributing uh, were not being used. Uh, and he actually left when, when fucking all the young dudes were still in the top 20, which was, you know, he, he still kicks himself in the ass for doing that. So by 20th, 1973, the Mott record would be their first top 10 record peaking at number seven in the UK, and it would go top 40 in America. Uh, mostly it was the, the success on it was based on the single All the Way to Memphis, yeah, Which, that's a great song. Definitely. And it got a lot of airplay in America. Uh, film director Martin Scorsese would become a fan at that point, And he featured that song prominently in the 1974 film, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Okay. It's, there's a lot of scenes where they use that song in the movie. Uh, he also features T-Rex in that movie too, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the album has a kind of unique distinction of, of having different album covers for the UK and for the United States. The UK featured like a bust of the Roman Emperor Augustus on it. And the US version had the band on the cover. Okay. With like big, like almost like neon letters, neon lights, Mott. Okay. On, on top. Um, other big tracks on this album were Wizkid and uh, the ballad. Uh, I think it's an epic song. Uh, just called Him for the Dudes. And that was a track that was co-written by Ver now and before he left. He got a writing credit for that one, yeah. even though he doesn't play on it. And also the ballad of Mata Hoople, which is another fantastic song. That's a, another great song. Yeah, yeah, I like both of those. Um, Mike, let me ask you a quick, because also at this time, they're having this success, but they're having a bunch of band changes. It was a pattern. That it was insane happen. how people yeah. were just leaving. Yeah, okay. Um, when Vernon Allen left, he ended up getting replaced by two organists, uh, a guy named yeah. Morgan Fisher, He's and also um, Mick Bolton. And later yeah. in 1973, uh, they Bolton would leave and they would get a guy named Blue Weaver. Yeah. Uh, but Fisher, within that time, would eventually stay on and be just the full-time replacement for Allen. Uh, Mick Ralphs, Ralph yep. left to join yeah. Bad Company, and Bad Company's. I was just, great. I was just gonna say that Ralph, Ralphs left in 1973, in August of 73, after they had done some shows in the states, and he formed Bad Company. Okay, and that went on to you know the next couple of years. That would that would be hugely successful. I, I Bad Company is one of my favorite bands. Okay, cool, cool. Um, he actually got replaced by former Spooky Tooth guitarist Luther Grosvenor, okay? But for some reason, uh, which I could never find a reason why, but contractually, Luther wasn't allowed to use that name, okay, uh, when he was in Mata Hoople. He had to change his name. It might have been a stage name. It, it might have been. I'm not, I'm not sure if that was his real name or, or what, but um, it's a great name, but he couldn't use it for, uh, for Mata Hoople. So... He changed his name to Ariel Bender. <laughs> now, you know, how do you get that name, Ariel Bender? What happened was a couple of years earlier when they were in Germany and uh, Mick Rouse was still in the band, they had done a, a, a TV show that they didn't really want to do. And the whole thing just pissed them off, the whole experience. Well, after they left, when they came out on the street, Mick Rouse was, was angry and, 
as he was walking down the street, he was bending all the car antennas. Okay, parked on the street, <laughs> and uh, when when it got to when they got to the end of the block, like Ian said, "Oh, you're an aerial bender," you know, and he remembered that. And when when Luther was looking for a stage name, he, they were sitting in a bar somewhere discussing it, and uh, he said, "Why don't you call yourself Aerial Bender?" And he's like, "I like that. That's a good stage name. I'll use that," you know. So that, that was that, how that how that happened. Um, in the same month that Ralph's left the band, okay, a famous New York City gig was played, and, and it was Mata Hoople on August third, nineteen seventy three with the New York Dolls opening up. Okay, and this was at Madison Square Garden's Felt Forum. Um, this is something that, this show is something that to this day, I've met a lot of people that were there and say it's one of the greatest shows they ever saw in their life. And a lot of people that were Mott fans in New York, but not familiar with the Dolls and, and vice versa, actually. They, they all became fans of, of both bands. Um, another interesting thing is if you've ever seen pictures of Arthur Kane, the bass player from the New York Dolls, wearing like these big blue, baby blue colored platform boots. Okay, you might, you know, you might have seen famous pictures of the Dolls with him wearing them. Pete Overend Watts gave him those boots. Okay, after the gig. And he wore them on stage for a lot of New York Dolls gigs. Uh, eventually, they would end up stolen. He would lose them. But uh, a lot of pictures of the Dolls you see in those blue boots, those were the ones that were given by Over and Watts from Mount the Hoople. Um, now, in, in 1974, uh, with new guitarist Ariel Bender, Mott would also see themselves on tour with Queen. Okay, the Queen was opening up for them. Remember, Queen was just starting out. I, I find 70s. that amazing. Imagine yeah. what a night it is. It's Mata Ubo and Queens. Mm -hmm. How fantastic is that? That's a, two great shows. Those are two head headliners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but Queen was not known yet. They were the opening act. So um, the, the the tour that they did together uh, really bonded their friendship with all the members. Um, they would kind of appear on each other's albums later on and, and write songs with each other and jam and things like that. Uh, Freddie Mercury became friends with all those guys and everything. Now, between January and February 1974, Mott recorded their seventh and last studio album called The Hoople. And it was really the only studio album that featured Ariel Bender on guitar. Uh, it was released in March of 74 and it included the hits Roll Away the Stone, another favorite, yeah. uh, The Golden Age of Rock and Roll. That's, that's what starts off the album. Um, the album peaked at number 11 in the UK and it got to number 28 in the United States. Uh, drummer Buffin Griffin, Ian Hunter, and Overend Watts will get a production credit for that album, the three of them. Um, other great tracks on that album is Marionette, uh, Crash Street Kids, Pearl and Roy. Um, they also had success in 1974 with two non-album singles that year. Okay, stuff that wasn't on the hoople. Uh, the first was kind of a Phil Spectorous uh, track called Foxy Foxy, which sounds a little bit 
starts off, it sounds a little bit like Being My Baby by the Ronettes. Yeah. Um, and also another track called Do You Remember the Saturday Gigs, which was a track kind of like about their fans and how great their fans are and playing these Saturday gigs with, you know, and enjoying the shows. Um, but changes now would come forever within the band. You know, first, Ariel Bender would leave, okay, and then he would be replaced by Mick Ronson. Okay, uh, Ronson had stopped working with Bowie at that point. Bowie had gone in a different direction and, and broke up his band. And he was looking for a gig, so he went to Mott the Hoople. Uh, they ended up embarking on a U.S. tour and recorded two nights at the Eurus Theater uh, on May 8th and 9th of 1974. Now, in my opinion, uh, it's one of the greatest live albums they ever did. Okay, because they recorded these shows, uh, the the Mott Live album that came out the year after the Hoople came out, uh, actually came out the same year, at the very end of '74. Um, when it came out, it was you know a lot of fans were looking forward to it, but it came with bad news because the band announced they were breaking up. Okay, Ian Hunter wanted to leave to you know go on and. Uh, be a solo act. Uh, he would take Ronson with him and he felt it just ran its course. They really couldn't do, yeah. you know, anymore. Um, Pete over in Watts, Buffett Griffin and Morgan Fisher would carry on for a while, uh, about six more years. And they would do two albums with some new members and, uh, they would shorten their name just to Mott. They got rid of the hoople. Okay. Yeah. And they recorded two albums, one called Drive On in 1975, uh, an album called Shouting and Pointing in 1976. Both didn't sell at all, okay? They did very very badly. Music was changing at that point in England. Uh, they, they, you know, the punk scene was starting. Uh, bands like Mata Hoople, especially Mata Hoople and Audi and Hunter, you know, weren't going to go anywhere, all right? So they changed their name again okay and they would become the british lions yeah and they released a self-titled album in 77 and then an album called the trouble with women in 1980 that came out kind of like right after they they broke it up they ended up leaving you know breaking up the band and that was the end of it now what did you say earlier you said you had something about the british lions no, that, that they pretty much were Mata Hooper, but they went on their own. Because if you don't have Ian Hunter, you don't have Mata Hooper. So they started this bridge line, which pretty much was. I, I've Mata heard Hooper some of this. Yeah, I've, without, I've heard some of it. Without Ian the... Hunter. So they went yeah. there and they started and they, they couldn't say as the, as the, as the Hooper, but they could say that they could say as the Mott, but they were saying that as. Um, as the as the British Lion, they had a little bit of commercial success. Not great, but they had some because they play a few live shows. Yeah, they did some shows. Yeah. Okay, and they 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 always could get gigs based on their reputation. Yeah, so they okay, were doing but, that, but it was right. pretty much Monta Hooper without Ian Hunter. Yeah, you know, and 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 people would hear them do these Hoople, you know, Monta Hoople songs also, and you know, but it's not Ian Hunter, so it it, it wasn't going to go anywhere. I'm surprised they even lasted six years. Not yet. That, I was shocked, but yeah. they lasted yeah. and played, and you know what? Some people actually liked them. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, there's always going to be your your rabid fans that are going to follow no matter what. Okay, but uh, it 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 you know 
if you look at what Ian Hunter was doing at that point in those six oh, he years. Oh, he was a different level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was putting out some great stuff. Now, he was working with Mick Ronson, yeah. okay? And they would collaborate on several albums uh, all the way up to the end of Ronson's life in 1993 when he died from cancer. Yeah. Um, Ronson had his own solo career, okay? Uh, he has a great album called slaughter on 10th avenue uh he's a guy we could do a show about as well yeah okay uh we can get to that point sometime um between 1985 and 2009 there were attempts at reuniting the band but by october 3rd 2009 uh the rumors became a reality all five original members performed at the hammersmith apollo theater in london now buffin at that point in 2009 was in poor health. Um, he would play only the encores. Okay. Of these shows, they would bring them out at the end, but during the gigs, uh, they had Martin chambers. Remember Martin chambers? Yes. From the pretenders. Yeah. Right. So he, that was, uh, I've heard some of that stuff over the years. Uh, they didn't come to America with that. It was just gigs around England. And I think part of Europe, uh, it, you know, in November 2013, they came back again. They did some more. Um, but sadly, you know, uh, after those gigs in 2016, Buffin Griffin would pass away in January of 2016. And uh, Over and Watts would pass away a year earlier, in, a year later, I'm sorry, in January 2017. So, you know, there's not many of them left. Um, yeah. And in, in 2018, it was announced that Mata Hooper would play several European dates that summer. When I heard about this, I said, wow. I said, you know, if they're doing this, they got to come to the States because Ian still played around. Me, me, and, me and Sandy went to go see Ian Hunter a few times before the Mata Hooper, Mata Hooper uh, reunion. And he would do <laughs> Mata Hooper songs, and, and it was great. Okay, it sounded, he has a, a great band. That rant band is fantastic. Um, there's a guitar player. His last name is Bosch, I believe. Amazing, amazing guitarist. Um, Morgan Fisher and Ariel Bender would be part of this reunion, okay? And they would basically concentrate on the last studio album called The Hoople. They would do all the songs from that, okay? And other Monta Hoople songs, but they, they concentrated on that one record. Which is something I, I, I noticed over the last maybe 10 years or so that a lot of older bands do, okay? Like, they'll go out on tour based on we're going to do this whole album back to, you know, front to back, okay? And I kind of like that concept. I think it, 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 it does very well with bands that have been around for a while because sometimes tracks kind of get forgotten in live shows, you know, you want to hear a certain, you know, like off the hoople. I, I mean, I, I wanted to hear, of course, Roll Away the Stone and, and Golden Age of Rock and Roll, but Hunter does those songs. So I've heard him do it. Okay, it's no big deal. But to hear like Marionette, I was like, holy shit. Okay. I just wish that they had been able to do like the, the theatrical kind of stuff that they used to do live. Uh, for that tour in 74, when they, right before they broke up that time, uh, 
when uh, before Ronson was in the band, when when Ariel Bender was still in the band, they used to have a little bit of theatrics. Okay, I think they only did it on that tour, and uh, when they played Marionette, then like these giant Marionette puppets would come down from on top of them on stage. Okay, and I've seen pictures of it. It's pretty cool. They didn't do that in the reunion, but uh, when we saw them at the Beacon Theater, sold out show. Uh, great place to see them. Perfect venue for them. And uh, I'll never forget that. I remember when we were doing the rock show, well, I was talking about it a lot. Yeah. You know, at that time. Um, now, unfortunately, that tour ended up kind of getting cut short because Ian Hunter developed tinnitus, which is, you know, guys that played music for many years, unfortunately, end up getting this, uh, this ear condition. And one other thing I have to mention uh, going back to the 70s is um, he wrote a book. Ian Hunter wrote a book called Diary of a Rock and Roll Star. And it came out in June of 74. And it was really the first time a book like this was written. It was all about the, um, I think it's 1972-73 American tour. Okay. and But it's a book that it it just describes all the the craziness that goes on and the, the, the problems and things like, you know, and it reads almost like a disaster. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all these things happened, but it's a good book. And uh, it was out of print for a long time. And now it's, it's back in print again and you can get it off Amazon. I got it for Christmas actually. And, uh, you know, looking forward to, to check, to reading it again. Um, and that's all I got for you, Mr. Rossi. That's wow. not the hoople. What a history, man! From uh, from pretty much fading to that commercial success, and uh, a band that kept coming back uh, together, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, they have that in the UK. They 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 were huge, okay. In America, not so much, okay. But they but they did have some success with all the young dudes and all the way to Memphis, and you know, I can remember hearing these songs on classic rock, you pretty much only hear all the young dudes now on the radio, but they used to play yeah. some of the other tracks. And uh, I would always be like, Hey, this is a cool band. You know, who is it? You know, me, me when I was like 12, 13 years yeah. old, like, who is that? You know? And, and, and uh, I remember picking up uh, all the young dudes at sounds over on St. Mark's. Yeah. And just, bringing it home and being like, holy shit, this is, this is fucking great. You know, and then, great I, album. Yeah, great. And then I got into all the other stuff, but yeah, I mean, Ian Hunter, I think we'll do a show on him at some point. Uh, we, we definitely got to do yeah. it. Yeah. We'll talk about his solo guy. career. He had, he had a great solo career. Yep. Yep. And hey, one of his songs was the theme to the Drew Carey show, Cleveland Rocks. Yeah. Cleveland Rocks. <laughs> you know what's funny for a guy that wasn't American, he did pretty good in America. Oh, but he is American now. He just now, got his, oh, he, he got his, he, he got his citizenship a couple of years ago. I know, but he, for a guy like when you hear like the song from Mentors, you think these guys were born and raised in like in the United States, but they were, they were from England, man. No, no. Well, you know, what, what, what kind of gets lost in history and I, I, I've I've mentioned it a lot of times on the shows, but the English guys of that age group, okay, you're talking guys that were born in the forties. Yeah. Uh, you know, into the early rock and roll. They they probably knew more about American music than Americans did. Yeah, they probably did. You know? Uh great story that was in that documentary. Uh 
what you know of course in the 70s you know there was always groupies and you know the, all that we all know those stories but one thing that that Mott the Hoople loved to do like on off days during tours would be to go shopping for instruments okay and they loved coming to America because they could find guitars cheap okay um, in England Les Paul guitars were very expensive. Les Paul Gibsons yeah. were very expensive. And Mick Rouse tells a story in that BBC Two documentary, uh, The Ballad of Mott, that, that documentary I sent you. Yeah, great, uh, great documentary. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, gonna, he, he, he tells, it's on YouTube. You can check it out, everybody. I'm going to add links to the show with that because those are okay. two very, very good documentaries. But, but he tells a story where um, he was in San Francisco at a guitar shop and he saw a red Gibson in the window and he asked the guy, how much is it? And, you know, he acted dumb. You know, he didn't want the guy to know that he knew it was a Gibson. So the guy said, oh, you mean the, the Gibson? And, you know, he had to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the Gibson. And he said, uh, that's 100. And, and Rouse was like, oh, well, you know, he goes, all right, 50. Okay, so and this was like in the early 70s, $50 for a Gibson. Fucking yeah. crazy. Okay, I mean, in in now they go for, they can go for two grand. Yeah. Easy. Okay. <laughs> Easily, if not more. So so, but what they used to do is they would buy like twenty, thirty guitars on a, on a U.S. tour, bring them back to England and sell them. Yeah. Make okay. And 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 uh, Ralph used to say, I could feed my family for a month on one guitar. <laughs> they could. Never mind what they made anyway, you know, but just the guitar itself made a lot of money. So anyway, Mata Hoople is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but you Jay Z but Jay Z is. Figure that out. You know, you yeah, you know, I hate to say that, but Jay Z is a multi you know, they got multi platinum, a guy that came from drug dealing to this. You know what? You gotta give the devil his due. He he's done a lot of you know, I'm I'm kind of a weird I listen to his stuff. He has a lot of great albums. And he got his, you know what? He got his due. You know what? He's a lot more famous than the New York Doll and everybody. He's just a much more. But he's, he's not. Star. But, but, but Rob, you know. But he's a star. He, but he's a star. And he's, he's talented. In, he's talented yeah. in what he does. Yeah. But it's not rock and roll. No, it's not rock and roll. So but why is it the, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is more of a thing for everything. But they call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because well, you can't. You, they should have called it the Music Hall of Fame. Fine, call it that. But until but they it, do that, I'm gonna bitch about these kinds of things. But it's pretty much it's the Music Hall of Fame. But they call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If they want to call it the Popular you know? Music Hall of Fame, fine. Okay, That's, it should be called the Music Hall of Fame. Right, right. I wouldn't I even mean, call it the Popular. I would just call it the Music Hall of Fame. It's where everybody is gone, and then you got. Yeah. Then you gotta have Hall of Fame for rap. You gotta have Hall of Fame for well, they do for everything. They have else. a hip hop Hall of Fame, right? They got a rap Hall of Fame, similar. I mean, they gotta have something like I think after a while you separate. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the one that is acknowledged and people know yeah. it. Now Tina Turner's getting in. Tina Turner's getting in this year. And yeah, he's definitely should be in it. Yeah, that I don't have a problem with at all. She's amazing. Okay, uh, but 
you know, LL Cool J is getting in this year too. I mean, I, I do. All the women love LL. Come I on, know. Mike. You can't even have my No, of course the women please, love LL Cool J. I know that. I know that, but it... <laughs> he's your neighbor. Yeah, I know. He's, he's from Queens. I, I know. And Run DMC's in there too, so you got to put him in, you know? Hey, Run DMC did do the collaboration with Aerosmith, and it is That's what true. it is. You know, we yeah. got to just. We got to take for what the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame pretty You much know, is. every once in a while, I just got to give it and to them. And it's the most popular music. Then call it that. You know? Call it it's what Biggie it is. Small. I think Biggie Small is in the... Yeah, I think, didn't he get in last year? Yeah, but I, think... I, I got to tell you, I love Biggie Small. I thought he's great. Like, for rap like... music? Yeah, he's great. You yeah, know? but it's just, to me, it's just, it's not rock and roll, but okay. I think you they know? got called it, they need to put that thing and just call it the... Music Hall of Fame. I mean, the Music Hall of Fame. Instead of calling the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because then you get everybody all frustrated, yeah. and then you got a band like the fucking um, what's the guy that made it? The fucking um, oh shit, um, these guys made it, and the guy shit it on. Robert Smith shit it on it. Uh, the Cure. The Cure. Yeah, they got in right. Yeah, they they just shit it on there, but the killers not even rock and roll. They're like got music. They're like, well, I, 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 yeah, I wouldn't really. I don't know. I mean, I guess they're not they're rock also, and roll. No, nah, not really. They got them. I don't, they, I don't they, know they what they are. You know, they, again, they, they made it and they pretty much shit it on it, but they made it in. Well, look at the Sex Pistols. They got inducted and they didn't even show up. They just gave them a letter saying we want nothing to do with this. Yeah, so you got back <laughs> and get uh, fucking Green Day. Fucking Green got... Day had to accept it, and they did like they played their songs. You know what? They, you got guys like that, like the sex. Like, Fuck you, we ain't going. You know, everybody got their own agenda. So exactly, it, as as right now, it's, you can shit on it. I shit on it every so often. We're gonna change the name of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to the Music Hall of Fame. We will no longer acknowledge it. As the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame here at the Rock Show, we're going to acknowledge it as the Music Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, who do we got lined up next week? I think it's Muddy Waters, Waters, right? I think that's episode 123. We got a bunch of great shows coming up. Muddy Waters, who when he he would come to town, the hookers used to go crazy because they knew (laughs) they were all getting paid. They were getting paid. That's like where I go to Fort Lauderdale. They know they're getting paid. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So where can we find you? So you can find me at anything getting lumped up. Um, the any uh getting lumped up at Facebook, getting lumped up at Instagram, getting lumped up uh Facebook, anything. And um, I gotta thank all the people that follow us. Thank you for the two thousand subscriber on YouTube. On YouTube, yeah. And um, Vince Russo, give me a call. I'm waiting. Let's sit down. Let's talk. I think I think our brand will work good on your show. I think we could be a brand that can bring extra uh, people and contact yeah. you uh, to the Rail Network. And I send you an email. I might have to send you another email because um, I know you're a busy guy and you're putting money together to buy this. But once you get this thing together, man, I'm uh, me and Mike and uh, Jonathan with people, uh, free voices. We don't want to be censored. And I think us working with the Realm Network will be a fantastic addition to your whole um, podcast universe. Yeah, we would we would definitely look forward to working with them. Definitely. 
You know, and uh, yeah. that mean because they will get the ads, they'll get us the peep. As long as we bring in ratings, you know what? That's all they needed. I think we can bring in ratings. Yeah. Yep, we got to stay on that. Now, if you're looking for me, I'm on Instagram, Rocker Mike Two One Two. I am also on Clout Hub, Rocker Mike. I'm on uh, Parlor under Rocker Mike. I'm on MeWe under Rocker Mike. And Facebook, Rocko, Right, on Facebook, you got to find me under Rocko Mike, okay, for various reasons I won't get into. And also you have the Rock Show podcast group page on Facebook, which we put up great music every day and talk talk shop all Dude, day. Dude, a lot of people are putting stuff. We got about 523, and it keeps growing. The universe keeps growing, man. Yeah, I got yeah we get a little bit every day, man. If you guys really want to go in a place that is um, talk about any music, any gender, we're not gonna we're not gonna shit on you. We're not gonna we welcome any gender of music. I just want to sit down and talk logically and talk about music, whatever kind of gender you like, rock and roll, rap, uh, reggae, whatever you got, reggaeton. You can come and comment. If we shit on it, we might shit on it, but we might not. <laughs> you never know. Surprise us. Just join the group. Join the group. Uh, so, bye. Great show. And yeah. uh, remember, don't get drunk. Get lumped up. See you next week, people. Have a good one. Take care, people. Good night. The only podcast you will hear. That will be music to your ears. You'll learn about bands you love or may not know. And it's only here on The Rock Show. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.